Amen. Thank you very much indeed. Um, thank you for the opportunity to share. Um, it's good. It's good. Um, I often speak at Buckland Road Baptist Church in Parkstone, and that's a long, narrow church. And there aren't many there, and they're all sat right at the back. So having you all here, you know, it's quite different. Forty-five years ago today, forty-five years ago today, at about this time, I was stood in a phone box, a red phone box, with my two peas, two pennies in my hand, pushing button A, phoning a maternity hospital to find out that I'd become a father for the first time. You know, this was uh, long before men were allowed in maternity wards. You know, I had the hard job. I was, you know, at home, etc., looking after things. But you, you know that I don't know that that sense of excitement, that sense of, of, of adventure, that sense of something big and good and is going to happen. Is that real sense that I I have here, and have had here for some time? That something's good. It's it's great. There's a real sense of excitement, anticipation. But also, like having a child, there's a sense there's some work to be done. You know, it's not going to be necessarily easy. And I just share that because I, I just felt that this morning. Uh, and thank you for sharing, ladies, very much this morning. Thank you to Mike and the team. Wonderful, wonderful. My handkerchief is quite damp, I confess. For many years, I've had a, had a sort of philosophy in life that says you are where you are today because of decisions you took. You are where you are today because of decisions you took. Now, some people find that hard, so can I give you just two illustrations from my own life? Uh, one is, you will note, if you have a data blast, that every week on the bottom in the prayer section, there is my wife's name. And you may think, okay, you know, what, why? Well, she suffers from a thing called dystonia, and a, a subset of that called blepharospasm. I shan't try and spell it for you. But it's the, it's the enforced closure of the eyes, and she has to have between 14 and 16 injections around her eyes every 12 weeks of Botox. I often suggest what they can do with any remaining Botox, but they don't really take me up. But, uh, <laughs> But I'm not saying in that philosophy she is where she is today because of that decision that she took. But I am saying the decision that she takes to handle it in the way she does is why she is where she is today. It's how we handle circumstances. I have to say I have great admiration as she stands in, in front of the mirror in the mornings holding one eye open while she's putting makeup on the other one. You know, it's a, a sight to behold. You may notice that my hair has grown a bit long. And my wife is my hairdresser. And I tell you what, having her with a pair of scissors in one hand and the eye being held, <laughs> it, it may grow a bit longer. But it's decisions we make. Back in 1989, I was, we lived in Bristol. I was given an offer of promotion, significant promotion. 
And we took that promotion and we moved away and we left their daughter who just married. And we took her son out of secure employment and moved to Bedfordshire, well, to Wellingarden City. We lived in Bedfordshire. And several of my team who were there with me in Bristol came along. But it wasn't very long before some of them, some of them were saying, oh, the company, the company's ruined my marriage, the company's ruined my life, the company's ruined... And after a while, I had to say, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. You took a decision. You were offered that chance. You took a decision. It was fairly true in one situation that their marriage had broken down. Well, that was only because one of the guys chose to have an affair with one of the girls. You know, he was where he was today because of a decision that he took. Hang on to that because I want to come back to it. I want to come back to it. Over many weeks, Phil has brought to us time and time again this concept of prosperity, of heaven being so close that there's almost a membrane there and we can touch, we can reach up and, and touch it. And God has been saying the same thing to me, because back in March this year, uh, out walking, I heard the Lord say to me very clearly, why do you accept so little from me when I have so much to give? Why do you accept so little when I have so much to give? <laughs> we called to speak on prosperity when every new car, newscast we have, every newspaper talks about doom and gloom is quite a challenge. Quite a challenge because I see my own pension being eroded. But who am I to question? The question I posed is what plans does God have for us, his children? What I find quite interesting is many of our nation consider themselves to be children of God. Every time we have some kind of national disaster, every event we have is followed by a collective church service. Now, I'm not knocking that. It's good to have them there under the word of God. But we see the politicians there. We see the council, the mayor, etc. But it's the same politicians who are next week are not or voting up, oppose the abortion bill or something. It's the same politicians that are having a doctor held up because... He, he suggested to somebody that they consider Jesus. And we don't seem to have that ongoing concept of a relationship with God. We go to the Father when we need him. But like my son when he was about 17, you know, go and see the old man <laughs> when he needs a sub. He's now 40. Little changes, you know. <laughs> Somebody once said to me that um, children are a, a financial burden to their parents until they become orphans. And I have to say, I agree with that one. <laughs> but just who are the children of God? Who are God's children? I went back and looked at what Jesus said. Matthew five sixteen. This is when Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Beatitudes, etc. And he's teaching his disciples and he says to them, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
a bit later on, we get that concept of, of Abba, Father, don't we? This was a, a first of those disciples, your Father in heaven. In John, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, this is Jesus again, well, sorry, this is John saying, to all who received him, to all who received him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, that's the crucial bit, he gave the right to be children of God. So we've got some definitions in there. Jesus goes a step further, doesn't he, in, in Matthew 12, where he says, he who is not with me is against me. I like that. I like things to be black and white. I don't like gray areas. I don't like fudge. I like black and white. You're either a child of God or you're not. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. And if, if you're not his, sort of one of the questions we must ask ourselves is just whose are we? It won't surprise you for me to say we live in unsettled times. I mean, Phil has been talking to us about that quite recently. Six weeks to save the euro was the headline from it yesterday. Mr. Obama, how many trillion dollars? You know, the, the whole thing is falling apart around us. And I think we, as the children of God, have to know more and more just what he is saying to us. What his plans are for us. What his will is for us. What his way is for us. You have to go right back to Genesis, don't you? Genesis 1. At the end of those seven days of creation, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Can I sit after the six o'clock news in the evening with a glass of Shiraz in my hands and say, oh, yeah, and it was good. Can, can we? We can't look at what's happening around us and say it was good. But the good news is that the BBC's ways are not God's ways. The world's ways are not God's ways. It was he. It was he who created the oil. He who created the gold, the minerals. Yeah? It's his world. It's his world. Aren't you happy that, that God's economy is not managed by the G8 leaders? Can you imagine what a mess we might be in? So what does God want for us? And this is the question that's been posed to me. What does God want for us? If we read 3 John chapter 2, sorry, 3 John 2. This is John, the beloved of Jesus. And here he is talking to his friend Gaius. And we can, we can read this as though he's talking to us. Because he says, beloved, beloved, I wish above all things that thou may prosper and be in health. I wish above all things that you will prosper and be in health. And I think that gives us two key elements to God's economy for us. Prosperity and health. And being children of God, they're the things we ought to be looking for in our lives. Prosperity and health. Last Sunday evening, after the evening service, which was wonderful, Superb, absolutely wonderful. Dave and Sue came and prayed with me and laid hands on me for my preparation this week and for today. And Dave's last words were, and Lord, 
let him prosper. I thought, oh boy, oh boy. I like the word prosperity. Prosperity is a good word. It's a wholesome word. The Oxford English Dictionary gives it as, as flourishing, thriving, successful. I like that. Flourishing, we can think of it as thriving in a physical sense. Flourishing in our relationships. Sophie's back off to university today, Phil tells me. So flourishing in the relationships she's going to build there. Positive mindset. Psychological health. Material wealth. Spiritual. This is what God wants for us. Prosperity and health. You know, prosperity in some Christian circles is become a dirty word, as though Christians shouldn't have wealth or generate wealth. We have some friends who live down in Williamsburg, in America, very wealthy people. I tell you what, you could swim in her rings. You could dive into them, uh, these rubies. You could swim in them. But George and Joyce, they work with an organization that was built, built and shipped 4,000 churches to nine different countries in the world. That wealth is being used to his glory. Let's go just look at two ends of the spectrum. Deuteronomy 5, 53. Walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper. 2 Chronicles 20.20 Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, his word, and you will be successful. It's there for us. If we walk in the way of the Lord, we'll be right with him, we'll be righteous. If we walk and follow his word, we'll be successful. We're told that. We're programmed to succeed. And if you're a young person here, believe it. We are programmed to succeed. That's what God wants for us. It's inbuilt. Success is inbuilt in with us. That's not enough. Go to Proverbs 11, chapter 10. I love this. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, that's us. The city rejoices. Now, I... I understand we're not talking about the city as we know it. Mervyn, Mervyn King is not going to be jumping up and down dancing, though he. But the city, you know, Holton Heath, Lichit Matravers, Poole, Broadstone, Wimborne, Wareham, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. It goes on to say, through the blessings of the upright, a city is exalted. Imagine the headlines of the Times, you know, Dorset Christians prospering, city rejoicing. But it's God's word. It's what God's word says to us. And we have to believe it and hang on to it. I want to go to the other end there and read a, I have a verse that was given to me 13 years ago. Uh, at a time when I thought I was going on to bigger, better things with the company I worked for. I didn't think I was going to be made redundant or retire or whatever. And I was about to go on an assessment program to be assessed for this next job, which everybody, all of my colleagues, thought was my death. And somebody gave me Philippians 4.19. And my God 
will meet all of your needs in the riches of Christ Jesus. And I say, yes, I've got the job. That was 13 years ago. I retired at 54. I thought I was going on to bigger, better things. God has given me bigger and better things since that time. My God has met all of my needs. God has fulfilled those promises to us, to me. God has met all of my physical and my financial needs in the last 13 years without doubt at all. Prosperity and health is what he intends for us. He's met all of my spiritual needs in the last 13 years. I come to the light test. I've said to Heather before, although I'm old enough just about to be her father, I always consider Heather as my spiritual mother. I really do. I've had many spiritual fathers in the past, the pastors who've pastored me, but I've got a spiritual mother. God has met all of my needs, physical, spiritual, financial. You know, we should not, we must not allow ourselves to live in poverty. We mustn't allow a spirit, a spirit of poverty to influence. My God will meet all of your needs. How can you believe you're poor when we have those promises there for us? God's word is far more than our circumstances. As Carol was sharing, God is far more than our circumstances. Jesus is more real than anything else we can see around us. This is temporary. This is temporary. Our circumstances are not real. This is passing. 67 years have gone by very, very quickly. Let me assure you, he is eternal. We mustn't let our eyes and our ears deceive us as to what God wants for us. For those who have been to Fargo Brenning, wonderful by the way if you get a chance to go go you'll know that every day every morning in that morning service we sing to each other there's an encouragement to go every morning we at father brenning we sing to each other we sing this is the day this is the day that the lord has made that the lord has made we will we will rejoice and be glad in it we will rejoice. It's a statement. You can see why I'm not part of the music group. <laughs> when I was a child or a young, young lad, I was in the choir in the village. And at one time, there were so few of us, I was the choir. But uh, uh, We will rejoice and be glad in it. Just, you know, we've got to tell ourselves this. We've got to start our days by saying we will rejoice today. We will be glad in it. So often we're keen on pulling yesterday's worries into today, yeah? Not content with that, we actually pull tomorrow's worries in with today. And we've got all these worries in front of us. And we build a brick wall around ourselves of worries and concerns. And then we say, where is God? I can't see God. Of course we can't see God. We've built the wall of worries around us. It's a mindset thing. We have to lift our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. I think we have doom and gloom. You imagine what, what, what the papers would have made of the, the Israelites. So they traipsed around the desert 
people here that God fed them. God gave them food. He gave them water. In 40 years, their shoes did not wear out. In 40 years, their clothes did not wear out. My wife's clothes don't wear out. They don't get charts, do you? <laughs> <laughs> God gives us a choice. God gives us a choice. In the NIV, Deuteronomy chapter 30 has a heading that says prosperity after turning to the Lord. In verse 15, God says to you, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. You choose. You make your own decision. What will you decide? Thank you, Carol, for that piece about children, because I've got a son and a daughter who are not Christians. And my 40-year-old son was talking to me recently, and he was telling me all the reasons why he's not a churchgoer like me, why he's not religious. Because you understand the Muslims, I mean, the Islam, they, I mean, they think, you know. And then, of course, the Buddhists and, and, and the, you know, and the Pope and the Roman... And before he batted me down so much, and before he ran out of religions to quote to me, I said, but hang on, what do you think? What do you think? Silence was enough to tell me. You know, this God of ours is very black and white. His word is black and white. You either become a child of God, or you miss out big time. So many people in the world today chase mammon, don't they? wealth. They chase ego. They chase selfish, selfish desires. There's greed. There's lust. There's self-will. I can say that because I've been there. Before I became a Christian, all of that lust and desire and self-will and ego came to a head. On the 30th of October, 1977. And because of the actions I took at that time, I found myself in an ambulance under a blue light on my way to spend some weeks in Stoke Mandeville. Hospital. 34 years later, I still carry the physical scars of that greed, that lust, that self-will, long before I became a Christian. But you see, the Lord was already working in my life at that time. The Holy Spirit already was poking and pricking and prodding. But he then brought to the fore John 15, John 5, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Yeah? Remaining me, you'll bear much fruit. And the bit that hit me was the line that says, and David, <laughs> and David, without me, you are all of that ego, all of that self-will, that drive, all of that, without him, nothing, nothing. I understand why people today look around the world and say, where is their hope? I tell you where there is hope. There is hope where there are Christians. Because when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. It's there. So what about us? What do we have to do to prosper? 
I think the Lord has very clear expectations of us, and I think it's a very clear two-way street. Somebody once said we have to do the adding before he can do the multiplication. There was a famine in the land, Ruth read to us beautifully. There was a famine in the land, and Isaac planted crops. He came here. Isaac planted crops. He took a decision out of his famine to plant crops. He took a decision to plant crops, and he became wealthy. I was walking my son's dogs up in Bedfordshire. We go and uh, house, horse, hound, sit for him sometimes. We go in the week after next. Uh, three children, five dogs, five cats. Two horses. So if you're free, we're to the fourth to the eleventh. But I was walking his dogs through a field of wheat, and out of that one wheat seed came an ear, a stem, an ear, and on that ear was twenty, twenty-five seed. That farmer took a decision to plant a seed for millions of them. He planted crops. He took a decision to plant a seed, and he reaped. The reward. You are where you are today because of decisions you took. Isaac could have done nothing. Chose to plant seeds. I suppose the question I have to pose, stood here, is what decisions are we taking? Now you could say, is it a decision about our tithing? I'm not going to talk about tithing, but still. Is it a decision about, you know, our giving, our first fruits, trusting the Lord to give us more when we give away that first fruit? Is it a decision about our time, how much we spend with him, how much we do for him? Is it a decision about our commitments, our skills, and our talents? Just what are we deciding? What decisions are we taking today, this week? Now, Sunday, Sheba told us that she took a decision to bless her brother. Been praying for him, but took a decision to bless him. And now we see a harvest coming. Phil told us we must decide, decide to honour others. Carol told us we have to honour these people and musicians. Boy, are we blessed. Boy, are we blessed. We spend time in Spain in the winter, and we have little midi files that play out an organ, you know. you know. Boy, are we blessed here with their musicians. We have to decide to honour them. Boy, are we blessed with godly men and women who lead this church. We have to decide to honour them. We're blessed with the copy makers, the counters, the cleaners, so, you know. We have to decide to honour them. I'm told there are 8,000 promises in God's word. I confess I haven't counted them. We have to decide if we're going to decide to accept them, or are we going to have pick and mix? We have to decide to forgive others. Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge. So often we forgive, but we withhold the judgment, and we hang on to it. We have no right to judge. We have to decide. You know, the devil will use three main tools, I think, to take our eyes off God. 
One, the spirit of poverty. And that can be thinking we're not worthy of God's love, not worthy of God's gift. The other is it's a spirit of infirmity. I couldn't do that. I can't do that. You know, little old me, I couldn't do that. And the other is a spirit of offense. Phil mentioned that. Who is, who is he to tell me and talk to me about the decisions that I'm making? How dare he? Now, the three things the devil will use to how easy in our present economic climate to be stifled by circumstance around us. When God says, I'll reward you, I'll give you a harvest of 10, 20, 50, 100 fold, if only you will plant the seed. Back in 1989, when we moved house from Bristol to Bedfordshire, if you were around in that time, you'll remember that we had the housing crash. We had a house on the market in Bristol for about £174,000. We moved to Bedfordshire and bought a house for about £180,000. And we had, it was a company move, we had a bridging finance between the two. But the housing market just flopped. It took two years for that house to sell. That house eventually sold for £94,000. But my God wrote, that debt off. But you see, in that two years, whilst we've been going back and forth between Bedfordshire and Bristol and taking out the carpets, taking out the fitted water, almost thought about taking the tiles off the roof because it was just dropped so hard. In that two years, I'd been challenged in a new church we were going to about not only membership of the church, which it had, but about covenanting my giving. Not giving more. But in those days, there was no gift aid, as we have today. You had to sign to say that you would give money to that, whatever, church, for four years. How could I possibly sign a form to commit to a church for four years when there was a possibility that I'd have to go back to Bristol and we'd have to start the whole process all over again? Impossible. I went gray in the process. But I've been challenged. I've been challenged about this covenanting. And so I came home on that one Sunday evening. I said to Avril, I said, we're going to sign that form. I'm going to covenant our giving. So I signed the form on that Sunday evening, dropped it into our treasurer's letterbox on the Monday. On the Wednesday, the company I worked for bought my house from me from £164,000. They sold it for £94,000. And my God will make all of you. Why had I been dithering? God was saying, come on, commit. Commit. Sign the form. Sign the form. And I kept saying, oh, I can't. Because my circumstances, my circumstances were dictating that I couldn't. We had a, I uh, apologize for telling you things about my life, but it's the only one I've had. But, you know, um, we had a, an investment check for 300 pounds, dropped to our door about six years ago. Yes, you know, it's 300 pounds. On the same day, we had an email from uh, a friend, Philip Saad, who is a pastor in Haifa, in Israel. And he was asking if we would support the church to get the children of the church out of Haifa, because Haifa was being shelled. 
and they wanted to take the children of the church away to a camp to get them out of the challenge. Being descendants, send them under the desert. Because on the same day, uh, Dyson Hoover had packed up. I thought, well, you know, 150 goes to Philip, 150 goes to Dyson, you know, get a new Hoover, we're fine. A bit later in the afternoon, uh, my dear wife, who's often the one that does this, came and said to me, I think we should send him everything. The whole 300 pounds. I mean, I, we got a. Doesn't work. We sent him 300 pounds. Our Hoover has worked ever since. <laughs> as, you know, as true as I stand here, that was, that was just that commitment to God. God was saying, "You commit to me. I reward you 100 pounds." It's still working. It's still working. Isaac planted crops, and in the same year he reaped a hundredfold. We have a God of abundance, and he's really asking us to sort our decisions out. What decisions have we got to make for him? Proverbs 11 says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Tremendous promise. Tremendous God. We have to recognize we have a God who wishes for us to prosper. He's a God of abundance, and we should just accept and understand that. We should close our eyes to the circumstances. Don't be fooled by what the devil tells you. Don't be fooled by what we see on television. I don't believe all the doom and despair. I came into this by sharing that you are where you are today because decisions you took. What decisions is God asking you to take today? Bill.